Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. I want to encourage us this morning, encourage every one of you. We all have um, an understanding and a revelation of what the church is. In lots of ways, the church is a mystery. Uh, It's a glorious thing. And although we have the church revealed for us in the pages of scripture, each one of us, the Holy Spirit wants to impart a revelation of what the church is because we are the church. The church is the people of God. And um, I, I think, really, I just want to encourage everyone to have a revelation that is growing. So when I was thinking about this just recently, I was thinking about the, the way I understand the church and what I see when I think about the church. Um, has that changed at all over the years? And that's a question I just want you to consider for yourself. The way I see the church, how I understand the church of Christ, has it changed? Is it growing? Because that's what God wants it to do. He wants us to have a a better and better understanding of what the church is. Because if we're building something together, we need to see what we're building, don't we? You know, if if the people that built this building we're standing in now, if they've got no idea what the finished product would look like, it'd be a mess, wouldn't it? Um, You see those ramshackle old um, stately homes where they've added on hodgepodge of extensions over different periods, and it's a rambling shack. Whereas actually the church of Christ is being built and the design and the finished product, if you like, the Lord knows what it is. It's, we, Zion is a, a city whose designer and builder is God. Um, but he wants to show us that as we go along. He wants to show us more and more of the building. So I just want to encourage each one of us, not just for today, but in these coming days, is to just ask the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, would you show me more? of what your church looks like. Would you show me in a greater way? Let let the vision that's in front of me get bigger and bigger and bigger until I'm I'm, I'm almost overwhelmed by what I see because that's really what the Lord wants to give to each of us. Now, I, for one, think that is really exciting, (laughs) really exciting. And as that happens, we start to change and the way that we do church changes and the way that we build together will also change. Let, let me take you to a scripture in 1 Peter 2. And um, David mentioned in the video about the strengthening of our foundations, about the importance of foundations, especially at this time. And we're starting to look at the church and the word of God today as, as an introduction because in looking at the church, we are looking at who we are. And in looking at the word and talking about the word and what, what is the word of God, and aspects of the word of God, we're talking about what we believe. And folks, if we are going to do anything, we need to know who we are and we need to know what we believe. And those two things are things that are under attack uh, in the society in which we are right now. In this country, people's identity and what they believe, what they believe the truth is, is under attack. So it's more important than ever that there, are, there is a witness and a voice in this country God's voice into the community to say, we know who we are and we know what we believe. So let's start with 1 Peter 2 and we're going to read, um, hopefully you'll be familiar with these verses. 1 Peter 2, we'll start with verse 4, just read a couple of verses there and then then we'll skip down to verse 9. So 1 Peter 2 verse 4 says this, And coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, 
you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. And then in verse 9, Peter says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's the NASV, that translation. And in these few verses, we've got a, a wonderful description. Peter's giving us a wonderful description of who we are as God's people and who we are as, as the church of God as well. There's different elements in here. And there's three that I want to pick out, really. The first is the sense of being called out. Because ecclesia, the word for church, literally means those that are called out. And Peter's talking about us being called out of darkness into his light. And that sense of being called out is fundamental to who we are. Someone asks you to define, uh, in terms of identity, who you are, who we are. We are people who have been called out of darkness. That is now fundamental to who we are. We have been called out of darkness. We now belong to God in his kingdom, and we represent him on this earth. So Peter talked about us being a royal priesthood. That's what priests do. They represent, and we're here to represent God because we've been called out. But we've also been brought together. So notice in verse 4, we've got this picture here of the living stones being built up together. I really love this picture of living stones. I've never had a go at drawing it, because I'm not any good at drawing. But if I was, I'd have a go at drawing a building actually made up of people that were stacked on top of one another. You know, like a dry stone wall where everyone's sort of fitted in together. Because that's the house of God, and that's the picture that we're being given. And... What it really means is that, is that, you know, if you've ever seen someone build one of those walls where all of the stones are hand-picked so that they fit together well, that's what the church is. Is that God himself is, is, is picking up Mandy and maybe picking up Grace and saying, right, these two stones, I'm going to put them together in this place, in this way. And they're going to fit together like that. And because he's the author of life, because he's the one who made us, created us and has a destiny for each of us, he is the expert at placing us in the house of God, where we need to be, so that what's built is perfect and beautiful. And then the, the third element is being sent out. So um, in verse 10, um, sorry, in verse 9, it says, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out. And part of our purpose is not just people that have been called out from the world, been joined together as God's house, but those that are sent out into the world to tell people about him. And as David said in the video, it's, it's really important in this time that we feel confident that we, each of us, have what we need to be able to give a reason for the hope we profess. We need to be able to say who we are and what we believe. It doesn't mean we'll be as eloquent as everyone else, we may be more eloquent than some and less eloquent than others. It doesn't mean we use the same words as everyone else. That's not what it's about at all. But in our own words, and in a way that we feel comfortable with, we can express who we are. And more than ever now, 
we are living in a culture which values individual rights and individualism. And that's exalted above all other things. And unfortunately, the, when that happens, it means that community, the sense of community, is pushed to the background all the time. So that the focus of every individual is upon the, their little sphere, if you like, their life, the things that affect them, their rights, what they want to do with their life, instead of feeling part of, fitted into something that's much, much bigger. And the church is, it's the opposite of that. And I, I want to just look at um, five pictures that Paul gives us in, in the book of Ephesians that David read from. There's five pictures of the church, and we've got them up there. Uh, that just help us explain. Now, the, each one of these pictures tells us something of the church and something of the people of God, but it's not exhaustive. Every metaphor in the word tells us something, but it's only expressing an aspect of something just to help us understand. And the first thing is that the, uh, that the house of God is a, a, a temple to God. So let me just read to you. This is from the J.B. Phillips version, so there's no point in following it. Um, <laughs> But just enjoy it. So this is Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. He says this. So you are no longer outsiders or aliens, but fellow citizens with every other Christian. You belong now to the household of God, firmly beneath you in the foundation, God's messengers and prophets, the actual foundation stone being Jesus Christ himself. In him, each separate piece of building properly fitted into its neighbour, grows together into a temple consecrated to God. You are all part of this building in which God himself lives by his spirit. It's glorious, isn't it? And this, this idea of a house that's actually a temple, it's a temple because God is there, speaks of the glory of God. And if you just for a moment, just think about the gravity of that. The creator of the universe that created something we have only just begun to measure in terms of its size, complexity and magnificence has decided to build a house in a particular place made up of his crowning creation, which is humanity, and to build a house where he will dwell by his spirit. It's almost too fantastic to believe, isn't it? But it's true. And I think in looking at some of these pictures, all of us, and when we talked about uh, the question at the beginning, all of us had some idea of what the church is, and it's shaped to a degree by what we've read in the Bible, what we believe the Lord has shown us, but to a large degree by what we've experienced. Now, you know, as, as Abby was saying, sometimes that's a really positive experience, that there are good things that we can speak of. It's not always been a good experience, let's be honest. It's not always a good experience. But what the Holy Spirit wants to do is to show you something that isn't shaped by that. He wants to show you the blueprint. And he wants to open the eyes of our hearts so that we start to see something and we say, God, this is amazing. This is glorious and beautiful and you're filling it with all of your glory and splendor and magnificence. And then to say, whatever this looks like, whatever we look like, that's what God's doing. 
And for me, the encouraging aspect of that is, is that Jesus said, I will build my church. He didn't say to Peter, you will build my church. He said, I will build my church. And whatever he sets his mind to do, he will always accomplish because he is God. Nothing can stop him. So whatever we are and wherever we're at, that's where we're going. And that's what God is building. And the more that we have that in our vision, the more we will progress towards what God wants us to be rather than being shaped by other things, by other voices, if you like, that come into our, into our minds. The second thing is family. And we talked about this in our, in our group, about coming into um, the family of God and feeling um, accepted in the family. James mentioned about feeling um, a place where we can be vulnerable, a place where we can learn from others, a place where we can be accepted and that sense of being in God's family, because we are the children of God, it speaks of our identity. And at the minute, people are scrabbling around trying to define who they are. Society is questioning, who are we? And really what they're asking is, where did we come from? And at the minute, the answer that's being shouted from the rooftops is, you can be whoever you want to be. Don't let anyone tell you anything else and if anyone tells you anything else they're trying to repress you and constrain you and that's a lie because you are who God made you to be and we can only be happy each one of us when we understand who God has made us to be and we can be fulfilled and fruitful in that so it means coming into God's family and feeling accepted because God has accepted us you know if God says I'm okay doesn't matter what anyone else says because God says, I'm okay. I'm accepted. And he loves me as his child. And that sense of security and peace, I believe, we can know more and more. Because just when you think you've got it, there'll be something in your past. There'll be something in your life. There'll be something in your present that just makes you question that. And says, yeah, but I've got this and there's this about me. Has anyone got stuff like that about them? I've got loads of stuff where I think, I hate this bit of me and that's when we need to have a fresh revelation of what it means to be accepted totally accepted by God himself and the third picture is of a body and it builds on this idea of being joined together and in uh, again in Ephesians 4 I just want to read a couple of verses from there it says this it says um, verse 15 it says but speaking the truth in love, let us, grow into, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, that's Christ, from him the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. I'm going to read that again because it's, it's a bit wordy. From him, that's Jesus, the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body. So every part promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. So it's speaking of unity and a coming together, but it's also speaking of growth and maturity. 
And Paul talks to the Corinthians about the body and how the body is all interconnected and there's no part of the body that doesn't need another part of the body and how everything works in this fantastically synchronous system that we have effortlessly. And he's saying, that's what the church is like. But it can only happen as each person finds their part. So many times people have said to me, I don't know where I fit in or I don't know what I bring. I'm not sure if I'm needed there. I'm not sure if I'm valued in what I have. And I have found in my life that the way you find out what you bring, where you're needed, the value of what you have, is to just give yourself to the body of Christ. It's the principle that Jesus said, seek first the kingdom. Sometimes we stand back and we wait for those answers to come. And then we say, well, when I've got all that figured out, I think I can then do something. And God says, no, no, don't wait for that. Just give yourself to the body. And as you give yourself, I'm going to show you all those things. In the giving of yourself, I will then show you all those things. And he wants it to be that way around, that we give ourselves to each other, that we lay our lives down to each other. Because he wants to do that in us, and that's more important than the next thing. More important that we lay our lives down than it is that God says, you've got all these fantastic super gifts, and this is how I'm going to use you. And um, the church, and this church, needs to be a place where genuinely we are willing to come together and to give ourselves and to sow our lives into each other. Paul put it to the Philippians, and he said, Consider each other as if you are more worthy of honour. Not because you are, but as if you were. Everyone else in the church, treat them as if they're worthy of more honour than you are. What can I do to bless you? What can I do to serve you? What can I do to give myself to build you up? And that is countercultural, Because the world is teaching people to say, well, what does this give me? How, and what, how do these people help me in my life? How do these people build me up? And that's the question that is often posed by people in the world that are saying, well, why do I keep these, these people around me if they're, if they're not doing anything for me? Kingdom works in the opposite way. And that's what God teaches us through the body. Fourth thing is the bride. The picture of the church as the bride of Christ. And it, and it speaks of the beauty and glory of the church again. But it also speaks of a people who are being prepared for a coming Christ. A people who are faithful and only have eyes for the bridegroom. And that's really important for us as a church, that actually as a people of God, we're not going to get distracted with anything. We're just going to be focused on Jesus, that he's always the center of attention and that we will be faithful to him so that when he comes back, because he's coming, that he will find us faithful and a spotless bride, pure, with only eyes for him. And then lastly, we've got this other picture of the army of God. And again, in, in Ephesians, these are all in Ephesians, these pictures, as I'm sure you know. The picture of the army of God, it speaks of being in a battle. And I think, on the one hand, we have to um, enjoy being together as God's people all the blessings, but we also have to be realistic about the opposition that we face. Don't let it discourage you ever 
from stepping out or don't let it discourage us from mission to think, oh, it's a battlefield out there. You know, I'm going to have to go with my hat on and, you know, get ready for the flak. Can we have some riot shields when we go? Because the people that we go to speak to in mission, the people that we're reaching out to, they're not the enemy. The enemy are the spiritual forces at work that would seek to keep those people down. So as God's army, we are those who go and bring release to those people. What we need to do is to see them as captives. And we need to see ourselves as liberators. They're not the enemy. And um, as God's army, that's what we can do. What I want to encourage all of us to do, to be able to fight effectively as an army, is to see where the battle's happening. So when we look around us in the communities in which we live, we need to say, Holy Spirit, will you show me the battles that are taking place in the spiritual realms? And you know, folks, when we came into the kingdom of God and were born again, we are now equipped and able to do things in the spiritual realms. You can still do all the everyday stuff, like get up and make yourself some toast and cup of tea and all of that stuff. But now you can move in this other realm, which the Bible calls the spiritual realms. And there are things taking place in the spiritual realms that are affecting the people around us, the people whom we love, the people who are our friends and our colleagues and our workmates. And if we ask the Holy Spirit, he will show us what's happening that's affecting those people, allowing us to pray into that situation, allowing us to say, God, would you give me a word to speak to that person that will release that situation for them? And you know what? Every time you ask God to move in a spiritual gift, here's my experience, he always says yes. I've never had a time when I've asked the Spirit to allow me to move in a spiritual gift where he said, yeah, not on this occasion. Maybe next time. I'm all out today. The problem has always been that I haven't always asked. And I just want to encourage, and this is me included, I want to encourage all of us in all of these situations to say, as part of God's army, I'm going to ask. Because the gifts of the Spirit, they are to bless us, but they're out there in the world. And that, for me, is a way in which I want to step up and be more effective as as part of the army of God. You know, the summary um, in Acts 10.38, Peter gives this summary of Jesus' ministry. It's one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. He says this, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. And in such a short verse, the whole of the ministry of Christ is summarized in those few words. And when the book of Acts was written, Luke says at the beginning, in my first book, I, began, I, I told you about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And this is a summary of what that is. And in this second book, which are the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles and the people of God, we are here to continue all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And in that verse, we've got everything that the church is here to do. We are anointed, we're set apart, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. We're here to move in in goodness. We're here to bring healing, to restore people's lives, to release people that are captive, and in so doing, to reveal the glory of God. And that's the glory of the church. And the the second thing we want to talk about this morning is um, the truth, the word of God. And um, as I said, these two elements are really important for us. 
the church is who we are and the word is what we believe. And folks, let me just say this. It is more important now than it has ever been in my lifetime in this country to know what we believe about the word of God. What you believe about the word of God will determine the rest of your life and will determine your effectiveness in the kingdom of God and how God can use you. So it's really, really crucial. And what I want to do is just just give you four important things about the word that we believe here in this house. The first one is this. Let me read this scripture. Well, you can turn here, actually. It'd be really good. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. And it says this. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let me read that one more time. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the word of God is God-breathed. God has, has breathed out, and this is the result. This is God's very breath. The Bible is God's self-revelation. So when God has breathed out, he's done so because he wants to tell his creation things about him. It's impossible to know God unless God tells you something about him. That, that we know from the scripture. And the writer to the Hebrews says that in these times, Jesus has spoke, sorry, God has spoke most fully about himself through Jesus. And we know that the Old Testament points toward the coming of Jesus and has so many different pictures about who he is. And the New Testament tells us about his arrival and about his kingdom and about us and about how we came to be as God's church and all that we're going to do and about the future and how it's going to finish and what's going to happen next. It's all in here. So that's why God has given it to us. He's given a self-revelation of who he is. But he's also breathed into each one of us his Holy Spirit. When we came into the kingdom, God said, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. I'm not going to let you figure this out on your own. I've given you my word, but now I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. And it's like... Um, think of, I don't know, maybe your favourite book. Think of your favourite novel. I don't know if, if many of you are readers, but if you are, if you've got a favourite book. Now imagine that you could sit down with the author. You've read the book. You've got your own thoughts. You don't really understand it all, maybe. But you sit down with the author and say, what did you mean by this? Why is this, why is this character done that? Why doesn't this happen? And the author could explain to you. Now, a novel written by a person is a very simple thing. This, this is something on a whole other level, for his ways are so much higher than our ways. But the Holy Spirit is the one who oversaw the creation of this word, and he's come to live in us, to show us, as the author, how to read it, what it has to say to our lives. He's come to take bits of it 
and actually sustain us with it, to make us grow, to bless us, to build us up every day with it. The author's on hand to do that. I mean, how much more help do we need? (laughs) I'm not saying that flippantly, but sometimes I just sit there and I'm thinking, scratching my head, and I don't even ask the author. And he's right here, and he's saying, just ask. Just ask me, and I'll show it to you. Does it mean we'll always understand everything that's in there? No, because it's a process, and the Holy Spirit's a patient teacher. And sometimes he wants to show us one thing on one day, and there are things he wants to show us, but you're not ready for that yet. But I'm going to show you in time more and more things as we go along. He is here to slowly reveal what's in there, because the problem is we couldn't take it all in one go. We'd have some kind of meltdown of an overload. The second thing is this. The Bible, so the first thing is that it's God-breathed. The second thing is that the Bible is perfect. So in the NIV, in in, uh, Psalm 18.30, it says this. As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. The Lord's word is flawless. So this is making a claim about itself. It's claiming this is flawless. Now let me just explain something. If this claims it's flawless and it's not flawless, then you can't trust it at all. Because it's made a claim that isn't true, and if it's fallible, well, what can you trust in it? Because if this could talk back to you, you just said you were perfect, but you're not perfect. So I don't believe anything you say anymore. If Carl said to me, do you know what? Chris, I've got to the point in my life where I don't make any mistakes at all now. I just don't make any mistakes. I mean, I've got to the point where I'm just perfect to everything. I, in fact, I don't even think I sin anymore. Now, first of all, I'd say, Carl, you are ready to go to be with the Lord. <laughs> but if I saw Carl make a mistake the next day, I would then begin to question everything else about Carl, about his judgment about himself, wouldn't I? The word is claiming it's flawless. It either is or it isn't. And a lot of people have started picking this apart because they've taken the view that over 40 people contributed to what's in here. It took 1,600 years to compile. Surely over that time, some errors crept in. Surely, just by the law of averages. But they're forgetting one very crucial fact. God has overseen the whole process. Now, if we take a step back and say, okay, who are we talking about here? We're talking about the creator. Okay, is that the one that's made everything that exists? You know, this universe that's supposed to be 13.8 billion years old, that's supposed to be vast and growing in size? Yeah, that's the one. Okay, so we put all of that together in all of its complexity, okay, and the one that created atoms and created things that are smaller than atoms, and things at the quantum level that are so complex that are fundamental to how everything in the world works. Is that the same God? Yep, that's the one. Okay, could he put this together? I think he could. Could he oversee it and safeguard it over many centuries to make sure that what has left his mouth ends up in your hand? Can we trust him to do that? Yes. So what about all the questions? They don't matter. Simple as that. They don't matter. 
Yes, there are gaps. Yes, there are things we don't always understand. Yes, sometimes there are seeming contradictions. But we have to make a choice as God's people to say, I'm either going to accept what God says about it, or I'm not. And for my money, if I'm going to stand before God on the last day, I'm not going to stand there and say, well, you know what? Watch this thing on YouTube, God. And there's this guy that was saying, you know, there was something in the gospel. This gospel didn't seem to fit with that one. And and God will just say, enough. And we need to be confident and sure that God has given us the Bible he wants us to have and that it's completely trustworthy. And in fact, Psalm 19.7 says this, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. I can't help read that without being a little bit insulted. Um, but I'm choosing to focus on the first bit. The statues of the Lord are trustworthy. I can trust what's in here. Even if I don't fully understand it, I can trust it. And that's what we need to be able to say to people that we are explaining what we believe. I believe what's in here. Well, I've got lots of questions about that. So have I. You can ask him. I don't have to answer for God about everything that's in here. I just believe what's in here. The third thing is that the word is a plumb line. John 17, 17, Jesus says this, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And the word is a plumb line. So many people are talking about my truth, their truth. What's the truth? Jesus said, I am the truth. And this word represents me. So this is the truth. There's no, there's no, no other truth. So when people are saying things that contradict this, this is true, they're not. Whoever they are, however qualified they may be, whatever their experience and background has been, it doesn't matter. And what we have to understand is that right from creation, Satan sold mankind a lie about who God is and about who we are. And this corrects those lies, and it says, that's a lie. This is who I am. I'm revealing myself to you. And this is who you are. You're my children and I love you. And that's all that matters. And as David said, we need to be those who build our life on a solid foundation. And this is it. A plumb line you use to build a building. If you want to build these walls and make them straight, you use a plumb line to make sure that the wall is straight. So that means for us practically, is everything in our life being built on the foundation of the word. Everything. Every decision we make, every priority we have, do we take the word and apply the plumb line of the word to it? Because sometimes things can look okay to the eye, but when the plumb line comes, we say, hmm, that's not quite right, is it? And that's what the Lord wants us to do. We're those that apply the plumb line all the time. We're always making sure that we build Because if you don't apply a plumb line, the further you build in life, the more out of kilter the building goes. So it has to be right all the way up, not just at the beginning. Through the middle, right to the end. Everything has to be straight and true and plumb. And the last thing to say about the word is that it is God's final authority. Psalm 138, verse 2, he says this, You have exalted your name and your word above all else. We hold the Bible to be God's supreme word to us. Nothing outranks it. Nothing outranks the word of God. What God has done is he said, 
It said, you've exalted your name and your word above all else. God has aligned his reputation with this. So God's reputation rises or falls on the basis of the word of God. And he said that in here. You can trust my word. And because of the unbreakable nature of his word, he's upholding all things. The writer to the Hebrews says that he sustains all things by the power of his word. Have you ever wondered what that means? He sustains all things by the power of his word. This is what I think it means. If God says something that isn't true or says something that's inconsistent, then we have to question whether he really is God. And you can't have a universe that exists on consistent laws and axioms, which we know is true, by the way. That's how science is conducted, by relying upon those to make assumptions about things. If you can't have those unless the one who's upholding it and sustaining it all is completely true and consistent and not someone that's maybe making stuff up or lying about himself or misrepresenting himself. And so we can be completely confident. And because of that, this means we can have complete confidence in this because he's given it to us. And therefore, this becomes our chief weapon, the word of God. And let me tell you why. Because it doesn't change. I change. My feelings change. The way I feel about situations change. But this doesn't change. And I will come to the word of God and the word will tell me something. And I might accept it. Then the next day I feel differently. And I come back to the word of God. And the word of God doesn't say, you're not feeling, you're not feeling it so much now? Okay, I'll, I'll soften that for you. <laughs> what, what, what would suit me to say this? It doesn't do that. It doesn't bend. It doesn't break. It doesn't mold. It doesn't shape itself around you. It says the same thing on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It just keeps saying the same thing. Yeah. Because it's God's word. And that means it's reliable. It's straight. And the writer to the Hebrew says it's living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's a living word, which means this needs to be our weapon that we fight the enemy with because we're being confronted by lies. We need to know what's in here because the truth is what we need to defeat the lies of the enemy. And we bring the truth of the word. When our feelings are telling us one thing, the word comes in and says, that's not true. When other people are saying things to us, maybe that aren't true, we say, that's not true because God says this in his word. When we're not seeing things with our physical eyes that we think should be happening, we say, I don't know why it's not happening, but I know this is true. And I'm going to keep confessing it as long as I have breath in my body. So these things are so important for us to appreciate about the word of God. I know that you know these things. But I believe in these days, the Lord wants to give us a greater confidence and ability to be those who wield this sword, those who build with a plumb line and wield the sword, and it will make us more powerful in the way that we fight that fight, the way that we defeat spiritual forces. Because if you just declare the truth, the enemy will flee from it. The enemy is only getting by upon lies. That's how it works. And it's the truth that will dispel those lies. Now, I'm going to apologize because I know I've gone over. But we've got one more question. So I'm going to put up on the screen two more questions. This is like the Spanish Inquisition. I'm just going to, if it's okay, I'm just going to give us five minutes to talk about these two questions. Number one, describe how the Bible has been a plumb line in your life. 
how it's directed you, guided you, influenced your decisions and choices. Have you built your life? And how are you building your life? And then talk about the biggest challenges in your life, in summary form, maybe, where the Bible has helped, encouraged, and enabled you to overcome. So if we could break, maybe break down into those same groups, that would be great. We're just going to take five minutes and, and take a couple of minutes to think about it. But just share with each other. I know there'll be, there'll be things that we can share straight away about how the Bible has done that and what the Word has meant to us. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.